0: I uh, was telling Brother Don before we walked out here. I've never actually preached a message from Chronicles, um, first or second. I've referenced it many times, but I've never preached from it solely. And this was a passage uh, I was reading, and I, I'm sure I'm sure I'm the only uh, terrible Christian that's here tonight. But uh, have you ever read a passage and you get done with it and you're like, "What did I just read?" What was that? What, what did I, I have no idea what I just read. Whether or not you're focused on something else. Now, a lot of times that's our problem is we're focused on other things while we're trying. We should be focused on God's word, but yet we focus on other things. And uh, I, I got done reading this chapter, and I was like, I have no idea what I just read. I need to read that again. And I've read it many times, but this is the time that the Lord really opened this to my eyes and helped me to see what's going on here. And I've heard this story before, I knew about this story, but I've never read it in depth for myself and really dived into this chapter. But 2 Chronicles chapter 20, uh, we're going to begin reading there, and uh, we're going to read for a few minutes, so bear with me, all right? And uh, this morning, Brother Todd did so well at getting through those hard names and places and whatnot. Now you get to hear me, and I'm not going to do very good. My teenagers already laugh at me. Um, They make fun of me during Bible class. But nonetheless, we're going to try to get through this, and uh, we will uh, see what the Lord has for us tonight. It says in verse 1, chapter 20, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1, it says, It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat, which some people uh, refer to it as Jehoshaphat, uh, Jehoshaphat, um, I say Jehoshaphat, so I apologize if it's different, bear with me tonight, but uh, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, there cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, <clears throat> they be in, uh, and I'm going to mess this one, Hazazan Tomar, which is, uh, and, and Gita, excuse me, I know I'm messing it up. Just like I said, bear with me here. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, art art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art thou not art, art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If... When evil come upon us as the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction. Then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade, when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say... How they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judas stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook, before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed tomorrow. Go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Koahites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. <clears throat> and as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God so ye shall be established. Believe his prophets, so ye shall prosper. And when ye had consulted with the people and appointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of holiness, and they went out before the army. That's a choir, if you would, almost. And to say, praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord said, embushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah. And they were smitten. They were destroyed, if you would. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. When Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And when they were three days in gathering the spoil, it was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled themselves in the valley of uh, uh, Barak. I'm not going to say that right again. For they were blessed with the Lord." for they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Brock unto this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all kingdoms of those countries. When they had heard the Lord, they fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave him rest round about. Let's go ahead and pray as we get into things this evening. Lord, as we come before you again, we thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, I pray right now that you just give us guidance. I pray that you'd help us to be able to pay attention and listen and stay awake. I know it's warm in here tonight, and I know we're tired, but God, I pray that we would uh, eagerly and earnestly seek what you have for us in your word tonight. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. It is a fact, and I know we just went through a long passage, 30 verses, and some of you are completely lost already. Don't worry. We're going to come through it, all right? I just felt it was very important to read this whole passage tonight. And I really think we need to understand what's going on here. This is a wonderful story, and God did an amazing thing in this story. So I'm going to help bring it in now. I'm going to help you understand everything that's going on here. And maybe some of you are sitting there like, oh, I'm exactly where you were. I have no idea what you just read. Don't worry, we're going to get there. But it is a fact that even believers have problems and challenges in their lives. Sometimes they seem to be perplexing, overwhelming. You can't understand what's going on. Let me ask you, Christian, how do you, as a believer, go about solving those problems and facing those challenges in your life, which sometimes seem absolutely impossible? There's a story of five young college students who were spending the day, um, spending a Sunday, if you would, in London. So they went to hear the famous C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. They went to hear him preach and to see him. While waiting for the doors to open, the students were greeted by a man who asked, Gentlemen, let me show you around. And he said, Would you like to see the heating plant of this church? And the guys, you can tell it was a hot day. They came to hear preaching. They came to get the heat, if you would. But they're like, Oh, man, I really don't want to see the furnace room of a church. Oh, come on. The heating plant of a church? But nonetheless, um, they went ahead and did it. They didn't want to offend the stranger, so they consented. The young men were taken down a stairway and through a door quietly opened and their guide whispered, this right here is our heating plant. Surprised the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. Softly closing the door the gentleman then introduced himself. It was none other than Charles Spurgeon himself. And folks tonight I want to talk to you about something very important I want to talk to you about prayer tonight. I want to talk to you about how to pray about the Moabs that come through your life. The different armies, the different problems that come through your life. This is what we'll be dealing with this evening. This passage of scripture that we've read, I believe that we can find some truths that will help us to handle our Moabs, our problems. And in fact, we will discover some truths that will help us to solve our problems through prayer. These will be the truths you'll want to remember because I promise you that sooner or later there will be a time when you come to a point in your life where you're going to need a supernatural power of God to help you get through a problem, to solve a problem, to deal with a problem. This is something very important we need to realize in our life. And I know some may look at it as, well, it's just prayer. No, there are specific ways to pray. We need to realize that tonight. In verse 1 through 3, it says, It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah at this time, and he was a good king up until this point. He was a good man. The Bible talks uh, uh, well of him. I think it's verse, or, or chapter 16 or 17. The Bible talks about him. The Lord was with him, was in favor with him, if you would. He was a good king. And it says, Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side, Syria. And behold, they be in Hazmatara, which is in In verse 6, he prays, O Lord, God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee. And he prays to him, and he prays to him respectfully. He says, O Lord, God of our fathers. He comes, and he lays before him, and he gives respect to him. And then he says, are you not the God over all the heathen? Are you not the God of the whole world? Can you not do anything that you want to do, God? You are, correct? Am I right? You are that God. In verse 14, we find that as they stood in the assembly of the Spirit of the Lord came upon a man named Jehaziel, and he prophesied what God wanted uh, Jehoshaphat to hear. In verse 17, it gives us part of the prophecy, ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Now, that's that's kind of a weird thing to say. You don't, you're, you've got a battle in front of you, but you don't need to fight. What? What are you talking about, God? They're probably looking at, uh, and I'm probably slaying his name, but uh, Jehaziel, they're probably looking at him like, okay, I think your vision, your, your prophecy, I think it's a little skewed. There's something wrong there. You're telling us that we've got a great battle in front of us, but we don't have to fight. That's not, that, you're speaking nonsense. What are you talking about? You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, hold firm to your ground And see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. In verse 20, they met the enemy. It says, believe in the Lord your God. In the latter part of the verse, believe in the Lord your God, so ye shall be established. Believe his prophets, so ye shall prosper. Verse 29, it says, in the fear of God fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries and when they heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel the fear of God was on all those men you know I believe the fear of God can be several things personally I may be wrong you can correct me later I think it's a fear of a father almost I also fear, uh, think there's a fear for those that are not God's people they have a righteous fear of what God can do to them and they had that fear Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, though, as we talked about, the southern kingdom for about 25 years. He was a good king. He was a righteous man who tried to bring about, uh, if you would, a revival of faith in God, in the nation. He had an army of about a million men. And on this particular occasion, this is a roundabout story. For those of you who didn't understand, this this is the roundabout, okay? He had an army of about a million men. And on this particular occasion, he heard about the armies of the Moabites and the, and the Ammonites coming together to do battle with Judah. He was the king of Judah. He was trying, they were trying to drive them out of their land. And when he heard this, at first he was afraid. but notice quickly what he did. and in verse three, notice uh, what he did when he was afraid. It says, "And Jehoshaphat feared, obviously he heard this news. He was afraid, He was scared. Um, if we all heard that there was a bigger army than a million people coming against us, we'd be a little worried. Be a little scared, a little afraid, if you would. And it says, and Jehoshaphat feared. Then it says, and he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. The first thing we need to realize when we pray about uh, our problems, if you would, when we pray about our, our Moabs, our Moabites coming against us, when you pray to God about your problems, you need to understand first that He cares about your problems. He cares. He truly cares. If we're not careful, we will develop the attitude of the disciples when they were caught in that storm in Mark chapter 4. And they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Do you not care, Lord, that we're going and we're perishing? We're going to die, God. And you're down here sleeping. What's going on? And if we're not careful, we'll develop that same attitude that the disciples had. You must understand that God does does know about and cares about your problem. 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us that we can cast all, not some, not a portion, not a little bit here and a little bit there, but cast all our cares on Him because He cares for us. And Jehoshaphat knew and understood this truth. Therefore, he could talk to God about his problem. Let's, let's look at the prayer Jehoshaphat prayed. Notice how Jehoshaphat addressed God. He said, "O Lord, God of our fathers. It was very important that Jehoshaphat began his prayer in this matter. It's the same with us because when you and I trusted Christ as our Savior, um, God the Father entered into a covenant relationship with us. This is the relationship of a promise whereby God at that moment made a pledge with you and with me that everything which concerns us will concern Him. Man, that's a wonderful truth. That's wonderful to know that everything I'm going through and all my concerns and worries in life, He cares about that too. He's concerned about it too. Every need we have will concern Him. Every desire our heart will concern Him. God is committed to live within us and face every single problem that we face because we are in a covenant relationship with Him. This means everything that concerns me concerns God. Every problem that I have is God's problem. We entered into a covenant relationship when we invited Christ to be our Savior, and He desires to work in our lives if we will let Him. The moment we invited Christ into our life, we became a child of God, and He cares about His children. He cares very deeply about His children. And you know, on that note, um, someone sent me a video here uh, yesterday, the day before, and I, I didn't even watch all of it. My wife told me it's grotesque. She said, don't watch it. It almost made me throw up. And I was thinking about how God cares about us, and she explained some of it to me. So I watched a second of it. I turned it off real quick. And in this video, I saw a father that had an infant child. And he was trying to get this child to walk and to stand up. And he took his hand and he smacked that infant. And he would smack it. And then he started throwing it up and down and letting it fall to the ground because he wanted to teach it how to walk. That's not a father that cares. That's not a father that cares about what's going on in your life. That's someone who doesn't care. And I thank God that he's a God and he's a father that truly does care about us and cares about what we're going through. So the first thing we need to remember is that God cares about your problems. You need to realize that. God truly cares about your problems. Secondly, when you pray to God about your problems, you need to pray with the understanding that God is greater than any problem you might have or face. He's greater than it. He's bigger than it. He's more powerful than it. Look at verse 6 again. It says, O Lord, God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee. Is God all-powerful? Yes, he is. Is God all-knowing? Yes, He is. Is God merciful? Yes, He is. Has He made a covenant relationship with us? Yes, He has. Can you think about anything today, any problem, any challenge, any battle, any suffering, any pain, any circumstance, under any condition that is too large for God? Of course you can't. Why? Because He's bigger than the problems that come in our life. You know, so often, this is one of my favorite phrases, and uh, I'm I'm not seeing as many teenagers, see Abby right here, but she's heard it before, and I say it over and over and over again. We need to stop looking um, to God when we're going through a storm and telling Him how big our storm is. We need to start looking to the storm and telling the storm, hey, you don't know how big my God is. We need to realize this in our lives. God is bigger than anything we go through. So the second thing you you and I need to remember is that our problem is not too big for God. God is greater than any problem we might have. So what does that mean for us? It means that when you and I face problems, we face them on the principle that not only is God interested in my problems, but He has already become involved in my problems and is powerful enough to handle my problems. We need to be reminded that if, God is, that if God is powerful enough to rule the heavens and the earth, then nothing or no one can withstand Him. And then my problems are no match for Him. God is not weakened or intimidated by our problems. When you're going through something, God doesn't look and go, Oh man, I don't know if I can handle this one. Man, I don't know if I can really help him through this one. Brother Ken, you might have to just suffer a little on that one because I don't know what to do. Let me go get some counseling. Let me, let me figure out how to handle this one for you, and then I'll come back and help you, all right? But he just suffer a little while. No, God doesn't say that to us. God is more powerful. If he rules truly the heavens and the earth, can he not take care of us? Can he not help us? He's not intimidated by your problems. They pose absolutely no threat to him. I am sure that there are some of you here tonight who are thinking, Brother Caleb, that's okay to, to you know if you would think about, but you don't realize how big my problem is. You don't realize what I'm going through in my life. No, you're right, I don't. I don't have a clue but God is aware of it, and God knows how big it is, and God realizes how small it is. To us, you know, it's amazing how the biggest thing in the world, it's just so big. To someone else, it may be like, okay, that's not that big, but to us, it means something. You know, I've learned with teenagers working with them that (laughs) it's amazing how the littlest thing can be the biggest problem in the whole world. I had a young person come to me here recently just dealing with the stress of being a teenager. Because let me tell you, there's stress as a teenager, all right? I went through it. All of you have been through it. And uh, there may not have been a much stress for you, but I, I had a lot of stress as a teenager. And I looked at things, and man, they were, they were big. They were huge to me. What am I going to do with this? It's too big. And we look at things like that. God, he, no, I can handle that. I've got you. I can take care of that you see the way we pray sometimes indicates whether or not we believe that god is greater than our problems i don't think you all got that there the way we pray sometimes indicates whether or not we believe that god is greater than our problems do you believe today that god is greater than your problems or do you see him confused and perplexed by what you're facing once you have established the fact that God, uh, or excuse me, once you have established the fact that the God you are serving is greater than your problems, then you have, uh, you have, uh, excuse me, then you have your problems close to being solved. We need to realize that God's bigger than what we're going through, no matter if it seems like the most monstrosity of a thing. God's bigger. He's bigger. And I know it's hard sometimes because our problems mean something to us. They don't always mean something to someone else. But he's bigger still. No matter whose problem is, he's bigger than that. So first, when you pray to God about your problems, you need to understand that he cares about your problems. Secondly, when you pray to God about your problems, you need to pray with the understanding that God is greater than any problem you might have or face. Excuse me. And thirdly tonight, when you pray to God about your problems, you need to pray with the understanding that praying to God about your problem is the first response you should have, not the last. It should be your first response. There's a story about a lady who went to the doctor for a problem, a very serious problem. The doctor told her, ma'am, the only thing left to do is pray. And her response that day, she cried out and she said, Oh my, has it come down to that? And in her mind, she's thinking, well, you know what? All I can do is pray. But when praying is all you can do, you realize that's all you need. It should be our first response. What's your first response to a problem tonight, Christian? Is it doubt? Is it fear? Or is it unbelief? Or is it first the response to pray? Is your first response to say, I need to see my Father? I need to go talk to my father. And you know what? I'm here tonight and I'm, I'm standing before you and I'm preaching this message, but I am just as guilty. We all are guilty of this. I can almost bank on it tonight. It's too often we go through a problem. We go through a trial in our life. We don't say, oh, I need to get alone with my father. We say, okay, so that happened. So how do we, how do we go about changing the situation? What do we do? What do we do here? Okay, we need to do that. We need to do that. Okay, we got to figure out this. Let me talk to her because she's probably got a a solution for this, and then I'm gonna get in trouble for this. And I I told Miss Heather this early in the week; she's gonna slap me later. But too often uh, we get on that whole tele telegram, uh, uh, or no, what is it? Uh, Something like that. Telegram, telephone, and tell a woman, you know. And we all do that whole situation. Guys, we do it too. Don't even deny it. Okay, we go to our buddies. We go, dude, bro, what do I do, man? Okay, that's not most of you. That's Brother Ken. But (laughs) (laughs) we have those times in our life where we don't go to God first. He's not our first response. He's not our first responder in the situation. For many Christians, the prayer is often the last response to their problem. My, how we all have fallen victim to that. They do as the lady did. Oh my, has it come down to that? That i got, I got to pray for my life? That should be the first response. Oh, it's no big deal. I'm just going to pray about it. The, the, the certain woman the Bible talks about that had the issue of blood, you know what, if she had known God, she had known in the beginning, hey, all I need to go to Him. She lost all her money, her time. She, she went through this, this life for so long, if she had just made God her first responder, she'd have been done with it in the beginning. Let me say one more thing before moving on. Many Christians don't pray hardly at all until they find themselves in a problem beyond their control. Notice what Jehoshaphat did. He led so faithfully. He sought the Lord in fasting and praying in verse 3. Which means that prayer and seeking the presence of God became a priority in his life. There's a story. This is kind of a funny story. There's a story of a young boy in Kentucky. In Kentucky, they use a different language, if you would. We don't know what it's called. It's something kind of American-ish, English-ish. But many in the service watched as this young boy was being very disruptive and verbal and boisterous, and he he was being very disruptive to the whole service. And they watched as this child being hurried out, slung under his father's arm, or over the shoulder, as Brother Todd showed us this morning, I think it was more under the arm. That that would hurt a little bit more, I think. But they saw his father, his very upset father, sling him under his arm and walk him out as quick as possible. And no one in the congregation so much as raised an eyebrow. There were people probably thinking, oh, it's about time. About time they got that little boy out of here, screaming his head off. And no one raised an eyebrow until the child captured everybody's attention by crying out in a charming southern accent. Y'all pray for me now. And you know what? It's a funny illustration, but too often we wait till we get to the end of our problem. And then we say, Y'all pray for me now. Y'all pray for me. Y'all help me. Pray for me. We wait till the last minute. We don't make that our first response. We don't go to people and say, Hey, I need help. And that's what brings us into our next point here. When problems come your way, Ask others to pray with you. Look at verse four. It says in Judah gathered themselves together. That's the people of Judah gathered themselves together. Not, you know, it's funny. It says the and uh, Judah. It put them as a whole. And I don't think it would put them as a whole if not everybody was there. I think everybody was there. They all realized the importance. It says in Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. In, in other words, you know, I, I know we're different here in Colorado, but uh, I got a little bit of southernness to me. Now I am from West Virginia. That's my blood is West Virginia. So that's actually hillbilly, not southern. But nonetheless, went to college up in Michigan and our vice or uh, our president of our college and the pastor of the church there, he's a southern boy as well. And so I I like to do things a little bit. I'm more of a revival type guy, a camp meeting type guy, if you would. I like that kind of stuff. I I love it, okay? You may not even know what I'm talking about when I say camp meeting. It's kind of like a revival, but it's different, all right? If you've been there, you know what I mean. But in this meeting, in this verse 4, you know what they had here? They had a Baptist prayer meeting. They had a symphony of prayer, if you would, bring it back home to you. They had a prayer chain going. And they realized all of them, all out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Every single one of them. Not just a few. All of them came and they said, hey, listen, this is important. We need to seek God on this. His problem's too big. But I think, they, I think they had it right from the beginning. I don't think they just went to Him when they had big problems. If they're doing this now, I think they went to Him all the time. But too often, we don't do that ourselves. We don't go to Him first, like I said before. But they had a Baptist prayer meeting here. They had a prayer chain going. They said, we need to get a hold of God. When problems come your way, ask others to pray with you. Friend, if you think that you can't share a prayer request with someone here, you're wrong. If you think, oh, well, they're going to know too much of my business you don't realize the importance of church family. If you're a member here, and some of you not even a member, I consider you my church family. You know what? I am 26 hours away from my blood relatives. The ones I want to be around at least. Or, well, really, I don't even know about that, but we won't get into that. I'm 26 hours away from them. That's a long, That's a long go. That's straight driving for one day and a couple more hours. Brother Ken, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could drive that long. Me and my wife have talked about it. And it's really, when you take a vacation like that and you drive, you've got to take at least two weeks because you're going to spend three days driving. And then when you have two little ones, you're going to spend about a week driving because, let's just face it, you've got to stop every half an hour, especially with our little one. And he just cries and cries and cries. Or you get some headphones or earplugs. And uh, let me tell you, those don't work, actually. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless... My family's a long ways away, but I thank God that I have church family. You know, you know what? One of my favorite times is when we can come together on Saturdays, and we can get with other men of God. And I'm not saying the women can't come. Uh, it is called men's prayer breakfast. Uh, we need a woman's prayer breakfast, I guess. Uh, that'll be taking place now on Tuesdays. Miss Heather's going to run it up and lead it. No. Um, <laughs> but, <clears throat> don't you like that? That's delegation right there in the works. Pastor's been teaching me a thing or two, but... <clears throat> We have men's prayer breakfast. You know it's so nice to be able to come together and have that time where we we, we, eat. we eat bacon, we eat eggs, we eat hash browns, we eat good stuff, all right? I made some gravy that'll probably give you a heart attack, okay? You can't have more than one setting of it, okay? You can only have one setting that you got to wait about a week or so. Brother Ken usually doesn't even come cuz he can't handle it, but <coughs> we have that time we get together, we eat some good food, but then we can come together and we say, "Hey, you know, there's some prayer requests we need to we need to cover these in prayer. We need to bathe these people in prayer. We can come together and share those requests. You need to realize that your problems are our problems too. Why? Because we care. If you don't care, check your heart. Maybe you're not family here. Well, friends, we need to care about others. We need to help others to see that it's not a problem going to, to others. We need to make them feel comfortable to come to us. If we're always negative, and we always, man, I need you to pray about something. Okay, what can I pray for you about? What do you want? They're not going to come back to you, friend. They're not going to come to you again, and they're going to be put off coming to other people about the help they need in their life. open to that. We need to help others. We need to pray with others about our problems. Next tonight, when you pray to God about your problems, trust God to give you a solution to your problems. His solution may not be the solution you expected. Most of us, when we come to God with a problem, have a solution in mind already. And I don't even have time to get off on this, but I do this all the time. I'll come to God and say, God, well, I I figured this out, but let's hear what you got to say. I don't think that's how we're supposed to come to God. Many times, the solution God has in mind is a total surprise to us. The best way to bring your problem to God is not to assist Him with the solution. We must bring him the problem believing that he has a solution. God's solution may come to you in a way that you're not even expecting. God may choose to speak to you directly. He can and will do that at times. Or God may choose to give you a solution through another person. Why didn't God speak directly to to Jehoshaphat and give him the solution? He's the king, he was the king. He is a righteous man. He was seeking to lead the people of God in the right way. God did not choose to speak to him directly. He used a man by the name of Jehaziel. He stood in the midst of the congregation and they all prayed to the Lord for a solution to this tremendous challenge that was before them. Look at verse 14 really quick. We're almost done. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. It was through him the people of God received the solution. Read with me, verse 15. And he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid or dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. And he told him, Listen, folks, the battle's not yours. This is my battle. You're my child and I'm going to take care of it for you. This is a lesson every Christian must learn. When you, when you uh, um, invited Christ into your life, God entered into that covenant relationship with you. He promised to work in your life to bring about a solution to all your problems. Verse 17 says, You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. You don't need to worry about this problem. Stand firm in your faith. Wait and watch for the solution to your problem. Do not fear or be discouraged. Go out and face your problem for the Lord is with you. We all have a tendency to try to help God. God doesn't need our help. He told Jehoshaphat to let the choir, if you would, lead the way. And when the people of God went into battle praising and trusting him for the victory, they gained a victory they never had to fight for. They didn't have to worry about the battle because God was already there. I hope you're understanding the story by now. We're almost done here. The next thing, the last thing this evening. When you pray to God about your problems, realize that God's solution usually requires an act of faith. Look at verse 20 with me. It says that they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. Let's be honest tonight. Most of us want God to solve the problem without requiring anything of us. God's solution oftentimes requires an act of faith on our part because God's solution is usually beyond human reasoning. We have to be faithful. We have to show faith. If we're going to express faith, it implies a risk on our part. But listen, no risk, no growth. God wants us living by faith. He wants us trusting Him. God says, I don't want you to get... Or He says, I want you to get your choir together. And He says, wait, don't you mean the army, God? God? says, no, I want you to get the choir together. But God, this is war. I want you to get your choir together, and I want you to put the choir up front. And when we get to the battle, we are going to sing and praise Him. Sounds like a pretty weird battle plan. Doesn't sound like the right battle plan. But in our eyes, it wouldn't be. In our reasoning, it wouldn't be the right plan. But we're not God. And we don't reason things like Him. Our thoughts are not His thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. said, Lord, that isn't the way you defeat the Moabites. That's not the way. You don't defeat trained warriors by singing to them, God. You don't do it. I can imagine what's going through their mind. When God tells you to do something, you either do it or you don't get God's solution. Now suppose Jehoshaphat said, Lord, we don't mind having a choir. They can stand on the mountain and sing while we fight. That's not what God said. When they got to the battle, the Moabites began the fight uh, to fight the Ammonites. And when the Israelites got to the battle, all they had to do was pick up the bounty and the loot, if you would. All they had to do was pick up the possessions, the prizes. The fight was over. Folks, tonight when you pray to God about your problems, you need to understand that He cares about your problems. You need to understand that uh, when you pray to Him about your problems, you need to pray with the understanding that God is greater than any problem you might have or face. Thirdly, you need to pray with the understanding that praying to God about your problem is the first response, not the last. Fourthly, when problems come your way, ask others to pray with you. Fifthly, trust God to give you a solution to your problems. And sixthly, tonight, realize that God's solution, it requires usually an act of faith. Folks, they didn't even have to fight in this battle. They went out there and they had the choir leading them, singing songs. I like can imagine us going as, as a group against another town. And they say, hey, we need the Lighthouse Baptist Church Choir leading us into battle. Most of you choir members are probably like, uh, I don't know about that, man. Uh, you're kind of crazy. And they went into battle. And we don't know that the Bible talks about encampments, and the Lord set up encampments, embushments, I believe the word is actually. <clears throat> he says he set these up. We don't know if those were heavenly hosts of angels or what the case may be. The Bible doesn't explain in depth. Maybe some of you better Bible scholars can tell me sometime. <clears throat> but we know that they got there and they didn't have to do a thing but pick up the gold, pick up the prize. Somehow, these three people started defeating themselves. They started realizing somehow that their ally was their enemy and they destroyed each other. The Bible says no one was left. When they got there, they didn't have to lift a finger to hurt anyone, destroy anyone. All they had to do was pick up the stuff. God has a solution to your problem. First, we need to realize that we need to pray to him. And I understand that your problem is big, but God is bigger than it. Are you going to give him the reins tonight? I heard an old phrase someone said, God doesn't want to be your co pilot. Has anyone ever heard that phrase before about, oh, God's my co pilot? God's my co pilot. You know, that's wrong. God doesn't want to be your co pilot, He wants to be the pilot. You are His co pilot. Get in the right seat and let God take control. Let God do something great in your life and let him take care of the problems that you're facing. Stop trying to handle it on your own. Bow your heads and close your eyes. We're all finished for tonight.